We just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to open the word and study. We ask that you guide and lead us in all that we look at, that you will be with those who aren't, aren't, aren't well. And Lord, that you protect those in this cold weather that we're having and keep them safe. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men set a candle and put it under a basket, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're going to stop there for the moment. So Jesus is continuing on this message. We, we just got done with the Beatitudes where he said, Blessed, you know, blessed are those are those that mourn, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness and after mercy and the pure in heart, peacemakers, and he was really blessing those and showing that, that we grow from those blessings. And then he turns around and starts looking at our walk and our testimony. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savior, wherewith will it be salted? And it's kind of an interesting question because it's kind of obvious. Salt can't be salted by anything but salt. And if you have a grain of salt and somehow it loses its saltiness, you're not going to be able to re-salt it. And there are times when people throw away salt because it has just been around too long and loses some of its savor. It takes a long time for it to happen. But God, Jesus said, we are salt of the earth. And we just want to think, what are some of the uses that salt is used for? In their day, it was a preserver. You put it on meat, and it kept the meat from going bad. It can be used to heal and cleanse out, cleanse out uh, cuts and, and, and stuff. Burns really bad, doesn't feel good, but it does a good job <laughs> cleaning out the womb. And they still use salted, highly, highly salted or saline water for irrigating wounds in hospitals to this day. Uh, it creates thirst. Restaurants used to use lots of salt in their food so that they would encourage you to buy more, more drinks. Now, why they're still salting food when it's free refills, I don't know, but <laughs> probably just out of habit. But in the old days, it was done to create the thirst and make them get purchase more drinks. Uh -huh. Yeah, Similitudes? S-I-M-I-L-I-T-U-D-E-S. What we're like. What we're like. Similar. Yeah, similar similitudes. But what, like, similar to... Uh, we're salt, we're light. Yeah, he's making this similar. He's saying, oh. you are like this things, and the reason that you're like this is that it, draw, it, it gives you a picture of what you're supposed to be like. Okay. Yeah. Same thing, just a different word. So... And so we are there to create a thirst for people for God's word and preserve life in people by getting rid of the dead, dead with the, the washing of it. It flavors. You know, if you use just the right amount of salt, it flavors the food and doesn't overpower the food. And so we look at this and what is our life supposed to be like? We're supposed to be salt in this world. We're supposed to be wherever we go, we create a thirst for God by how we live, by what, what we do, what we say, how we behave. We bring 
life into people's, in other people's li uh, life by bringing in the salt that heals the wounds that they have. And that's pretty harsh sometimes because when we're, when we're hurting, when, we're, when we've been hurt or we're disobeying and somebody comes in and gives us God's word, usually our first thought is that hurts, get away from me, I don't want to hear it. But if we're smart, we, want, we let it happen and we let that get in and cleanse out the, the injury and bring us back to health. And it preserves. As Christians, we speak into one another's lives, we speak God's word, and we get preserved. And we don't fall as easy when we're following God and we're being held accountable by, by other believers. So salt is a very interesting thing when Jesus says, you are the salt to the earth. Because earth, in this case, is talking about the lost world. And he says, you are the one that brings this saltiness, that brings life, that brings flavor, that heals in injuries, that flavors the very life. And this is very important because when we live our life in front of others, people look at us and they say things like, how can you stay happy during all of this misery that you're going through? And I've, or how can you stay peaceful when, when all this chaos is going around you? Those are the kind of things I used to hear a lot when I was in management and everything would be going crazy and people would look over to me and there was this strength that kept going on and I'd get to tell them all about God being the strength and being my peace and being the, the way to walk forward. But this is something that we are. We are these things and we exclude, exclude these. And if we are, and he says, if we lose our saltiness, the only thing that's left is to be cast out because it can't be resalted. And sometimes Christians are thrown out to be because of their lifestyle so that God can say, I want you to come back to me. Paul said of the man who was sleeping with his father's wife, you know, get, get him out of the fellowship so that Satan can have him so that he can come back after he had been taught that he was doing wrong. Because when you're accepted, and we've seen this in some churches, it happens quite frequently. When their sin is not called sin, their sin is not you know, said it's wrong, they begin to think it's okay and they, pollute, they end up polluting the whole church because they think that what they're doing is okay. And God says we're to speak his word. It may hurt sometimes. And if you've ever had somebody speak God's truth to you when you didn't want to hear it, you know that it hurts. <laughs> and it's hard. And it steps on toes. And a lot of times pastors and teachers step on, step on people's toes, hopefully not on purpose, though I know that there's some that do it on purpose, but because they're just teaching God's word. And it steps on toes and says, you've got to pay attention. I've had my toes stepped on many times over the 44 years, <laughs> listening to the messages and going, oh, has this guy been sitting in my house watching me or something because the message hit me so, so hard? And yet I know in the back of my mind it is just the Holy Spirit speaking through the person. And, but we are to be salt to one another, and that means a lot. Just those things we're talking about, and whatever else you can think about what salt does. Uh, you know, salt heals, it preserves, it, it flavors, it creates thirst. We should be creating thirst in people around us that should want to know, why are you different? Why do you do the things you do? And if you haven't heard those questions, ask God to help you hear those questions, because somebody needs to be watching your life enough to say, why? Why do, you, why do you not curse when you strike your hand with the hammer? Uh, when, you, when you cut yourself? When, you know, why do you stay peaceful when, when everything's going wrong? How can you go through the death of a loved one and stay strong? How, you know, 
All these things that can happen to us and we are able to show forth God's glory and his grace because of what we go through. And it's all his strength. It's not us anyway. It's just releasing ourselves to him and he reveals himself through us. And then people see Jesus lifted up and, they are, and they're drawn to him. And I quoted this verse. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He needs to always be lifted up, never ourselves. When people would ask, you know, how did you do this? And I would always turn it to God and say, just God's given me, gives me the strength to be peaceful. He's the one that is in control. So I know that he is in charge and I can trust in him. And I believe that that's the major key. Do I truly believe that God is in charge and in control? Because most people don't. Most Christians don't even believe truly that God is in charge and knows what's going on. They kind of loosely hold the idea that all things work together for good. They'll tell you that we leave it, but every time they go through something hard or, or bad or that they consider bad, they start grumbling and complaining, proving that they don't believe the, the statement that all things work together for good. And been listening to a message today talking about how Paul said that he has suffered these light afflictions. And I kind of thought that was interesting because I've heard that verse and I never really thought about it. What did Paul consider light afflictions? having been beat several times almost to death, having been stoned, being shipwrecked and, and floating in the water for days at a time, having no friends, being poor, being destitute, and he called those things light afflictions. <laughs> Most of us, if we went through even one of what he considered a light infliction, we think that we're being totally misused and abused. And yet Paul's definition was, I've endured these light afflictions that God sent my way. Why? Because he knew what, he, he counted the glory. He counted the glory that was to come. He knew that God had great things in store for him, that all things worked, to get, worked for good. And when we truly believe these things, we look at what happens in our life and we say, oh, this just, these are the light things that are happening in my life. I told, I told uh, one of my relatives uh, a couple months ago, you know, I praise God that nothing bad has really happened to me in my lifetime, and, and they started laughing. And they go, you really believe that, but think about this, this, and this. I'm going, those weren't bad. Those were just things that happened to me. But it was all perspective. For me, people look at it and say, these were bad things. For me, I'm just looking at them and say, that's what God sent my way to, to learn from. And it all comes down to what is our attitude when we look at what God's doing, (coughs) allowing to happen to us. Am I looking at it as if it's terrible and bad? God's not in control, or am I looking completely and honestly that God's in control and he's got a plan for it? If you can get to that place in your life, no matter what God sends your way, you're just going to go, okay, God, I may not understand it. And I'm not going to say I've understood everything that has happened in my life. And I've told you, there's times when I've asked God, I go, God, I know that everything works together for good, but I sure don't understand this one. But you've said it's for good, so I'm just going to be resting in you and try to watch out how it happens. I'm not going to say that I've enjoyed everything that's ever happened in my life, but I know that God's in control. And we want to be able to say, God is in control. And when we can do that, people look at our life and say, and there's something weird about that person. <laughs> They're not being freaked out by all these bad things that are happening. They're not falling apart that this is happening or that's happening. And they look at you and they start really watching your life and saying, I want what that person has. In that situation, we're being salt in their life and saying, I'm creating thirst. I'm creating a thirst that says you want something that you don't have and you see it 
in God working through me. And again, it's not anything that we can really generate. It is just learning to obey God and believe God and let him work out of us. And this is the simplest thing. And I keep bringing this up because to me it's the most important thing. The more we surrender to Christ and God and let him crucify our flesh, the more he works out of us and the more we get our life corrected. And theoretically, it's possible to be perfect under those circumstances, though it probably won't happen. <laughs> uh, because we're never going to give up everything. There's, there will be those points where we come across some things we're just not going to give up. And God says, I want you to give that up. And then he'll keep working on it until we finally give it up. But this is how we become salt. We start truly trusting God. And people start looking at us in the middle of these things that would tear them apart. And the thing about it is, what will be salt to somebody? It differs from every single person you know. Some people will be really impressed that you didn't fall apart when a little bit of pressure happened on your day. Another person will say, well, that's nothing. I can do that. But, but you, you, you held out when your family member died. You, you held out when your job was, was ended and you were, went from making lots of money to no money and you still held out. Uh, when the whole carpet was pulled out from under you and your house was burnt down and, when you got home and you stayed faithful. We never know what it is that somebody's going to look at and say, wow, that is impressive. But when they see something they don't have when you're walking through problems and they see that peace that you have when you're not falling apart as a Christian, they, would, they are drawn to that. They want to know why. I will say that they, are not, they don't care whether, that we're a Christian as much as they, they care about we go through things that, they, that tear them apart because of how they watch us. Now, if I have bad things and I get mad and angry just like they do, they go, okay, he doesn't have anything I want. It all comes down to, is our walk creating salt, salt in them? Is it creating a desire? Because when they look at me, they see something they don't have. I'm a new creation. And most of the people out in the world do not have peace. And if I can walk through my life with, with just peace, no matter what's going on, and I'm just going through peace. It doesn't mean I'm going to be happy all the time. It doesn't mean I'm going to be even joyful all the time. I'm just going through with a calmness that says there's somebody in control. And they look at me and say, you're not falling apart at every little thing that happens. Why does the world commit suicide in the, in the, in the amount that it does? Well, part of it is because life has been belittled so much, but also most of it is they're not finding what, it need, what they want to bring peace. And we've said this over and over. Why do the really successful people that all of us look at and say, they've got everything. If I just had what they had, I'd be really, really happy. And then they get into drugs and alcohol and then eventually quite often into suicide because they don't have peace. They've got all the stuff, but the stuff will not fill the space that God is designed to fill. And we come in with God filling that space. We may not have everything. We may not but we have that peace. And I hope you understand what I'm saying when I talk about peace. It's not, not even joy and happiness. It's just a even keel. I may even get upset a little bit once in a while when something happens because I don't understand it, but I go through and go, God, you're in control. The more I believe that God's in control, the more I believe that he works all things together for good, the more I believe that he is sovereign and has a plan for my life, the more I'm, peace I am going to be as bad things happen. And it takes time. He gives us a peace that passes understanding and the world looks at it and says, 
I don't understand it. And I'm not saying it's easy to do. It takes a long time to get that way, but people are drawn when they see that you don't react the way they would react because you have peace and you have trust in God. And that's what they're wanting. They're wanting that, is there something I can hold on to that is above me, more than me, that has, brings meaning to life? And we come in and we have meaning in our life and we have peace in our life. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be good. The amazing thing in this world is quite often where people are being martyred all the time, God's kingdom stands out and grows in, in, in leaps and bounds because they're seeing that these, have, these people have something they're willing to die for. How many people have something in their life they're willing to die for? Not very many in reality. Some might raise their family to a point where they're willing to die for it. Might. Uh, they might be willing to die for you know, some possession to a degree, but not willingly. And yet Christians will willingly die for Christ in many cases. <laughs> and that impresses people. And this has been said by many great preachers. You don't know what you can do until God gives you the grace to do it. And we don't know what it is. When it's time to face martyrdom or prison or whatever if God is asking us to do this he'll give us the grace to go through it if we're willing to grab hold of that grace and this is something if you and I really talk to people and encourage people read Fox's book of martyrs and watch how Christians embraced Christ as they died a martyr's death and impressed people in many cases and so and so died and hundreds came to the church thousands came to the <laughs> came to the church because they uh, no, I don't have one, but I'm going to, I am going to buy one for, the, for giving out to the church. But, you know, people got saved because they saw somebody who willingly was willing to die for, some, for something they truly believed in. And this is something that impresses people when they see that level of commitment that I'm willing to go through hard times because I trust the one who's allowing it to happen. I'm willing to die because... It is what he's brought me to do. And again, it's him coming out of us. It's not us doing it. There are, there are many people in religions that will die for their religion because they think they're earning heaven because they do it. Muslims are a great example of this. They have no problem getting suicide bombers because that's about the only way they're guaranteed to go to heaven is to take out infidels when they do a suicide. Now, that's not the same thing as what I'm saying where I'm willing to die for someone not because I'm earning anything in the process. Almost anybody will do something if they feel they're going to earn something. Uh, we see it all the time. You know, I dare you to do this and, you know, for the reputation or, or and people will do the stupidest stuff that's the most deadly stuff oftentimes because of they're getting respect, they think, or money or whatever it is they're getting out of that activity. Whereas if you just do it, and say, I'm going to die. We watch the apostles willing to take beatings for preaching Jesus in Jesus' name. Now, that didn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But yet, God says, if you stand for me, you know, if you deny me, I'll deny you. But if you confess me, I'll confess you to the Father. So for Christians, we go, God, I just, I want to do, I want to confess you. I don't want to deny you because you are my everything. And the more we believe that he is our everything, the more we're going to be willing to do for him and the more peace we're going to have. And all of these tests that we go through are fully designed to show what do we truly believe. 
And this is what Del Tackett said in the Truth Project. The tagline is, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Every test we go through is designed for just that purpose. Do I really believe what I say I believe in in the Bible? That is what God's testing us all the time. And the more we say we believe it, the harder the test will be, could be to see, do you truly believe it? And I shared with people several years ago now, when my wife and I went to a conference and the car broke down. So we're there on Thursday or Friday, it was a couple day conference, and everybody all weekend was like, how are you going to get home? What are you going to do? How, 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 how? And I'm going, I don't know, but I'm here to enjoy the conference and it's God's problem to figure out how I'm getting home. He'll tell me how I'm going to get home when it's time to go, go home. And I had people, you know, good Christian people as well, you know, going out there worried about how I was going to get over this. And I'm just saying, you know, God's got it under control. I don't understand it, but he's got a, he's got a plan. Now, do I do, am I that successful in everything I do? Absolutely not. <laughs> but for the most part, I've come to the place where I know that God's in control. When bad things happen to me, oftentimes I'm holding on to the last knot of that verse saying, God, you've promised that all things work together for good. I don't understand it, but I'm hanging on to this verse with everything I've got because you're under control, that you've got everything under control. You have a plan. I don't see it. I can't understand it. I don't see how it could possibly work, but you've got a plan. And then later on, I get out of it, and God sometimes shows me what the reason of it, some, and sometimes doesn't. But I hold on, and I say, this is all I'm going to do. This is all I've got to do. Now, I've also learned in the process, if somebody's going through a hard time, that's not the time to tell them, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Because they either believe it before they start that problem, or they don't. And if they truly believe it, it's a lifeline that they're going to take up on their own. If they don't believe it, it's a slap in the face that you just hit them saying, basically you're saying you don't have enough faith because you can't believe this verse. And this is something we have to be very careful of when we try to apply God's word to somebody's situation in the middle of their problems. That's really not the time to be getting them. You, you give them comfort verses if you're going to give them anything. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for God is with me. If the person generally believes it, now if somebody came to me and said, you know, I'm, for some reason I'm freaking out, and they go, you know, God work, you know, all things work together for good, to me that's going to be comforting because I already truly believe in it, and I might have forgotten temporarily. But I, I had learned the hard way, you don't say that kind of verse to somebody who's going through a hard time because, unless, unless I knew them really well and knew that they really believed that verse. But what really happens is, all that we go through, all the tests that God give us are designed to say, do you truly believe what you have been taught? And this is why I tell everybody over and over again, when you learn something in the scriptures, be ready for the test to see if you truly believe it. Because it's coming. If you've been reading and you've been studying about love, you are going to find somebody in your life in the very near future that's hard to love. If you've been working on learning about patience and God has been teaching you about patience, you're gonna find things that try your patience. If you're looking at being faithful in giving, things are gonna happen that's gonna make that giving very difficult to do and say, are you going to truly trust or are you going to back off? 
Whatever it is you're learning, God will say, let's test it. And as I've said, the test is directly related to how well you believe the verse. Well, that's a real truism, too. Well, it has to be because it's the same thing we do in school. You take a math test every year for, for 12 years, but you're not taking the same math test. You know, in 12th grade, you're not taking the kindergarten math test. And, it would, and if you got a kindergarten math test at 12th grade, you would, you would like be asking, what's the joke? This isn't a test. This isn't even, you know, because it, you, you know the material. And by the same token, you're not going to get that kindergartner uh, advanced cal calculus project, you know, to, to do. It's like they would look at that and just like, I have no idea what to do with this. And ultimately, that's exactly what happens. We get, we get, beyond, we get beyond the test and it's like, at some point, the test is no longer a test because I know it so well, I trust him so well in that area that I no longer need to be tested in that area unless there's other advanced stuff to go into. But there's a point where you, you get to be so trusting in God, so confident in what you know that it's not a test anymore. And it's the same thing with sin. For certain sins, I mean, people could pour put alcohol in front of me all day long and it's not a tr it's not even a test to me I have no desire to 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 try it so it's not a big deal there are other things they could put in front of me that are going to test me and try me greatly and everybody has the same situation where certain things test them and certain things don't but you have to still be careful on those things that don't because if you're if you get too confident in it it can be your downfall but God says you're to create thirst with people. Now, are we going to be able to create thirst in every aspect of our life to where, when people look at us? No. Because again, it's going to depend what is it that impresses them. Now, they're a great worker. They work very hard and, and, and work. You, know, you may be a good godly worker. They're working for their flesh. You're working for God. And it's not going to impress them because they're a worker. But you don't take the $20 bill that's laying on the counter when they would have they're going to look at you and say, there's something wrong with this guy. He put the money back in the drawer or he put the money, he gave the money back to the person who lost it. Okay. What, and it will always be different with every single person what impresses them and what creates that salt. And that's going to impress people like, you know, there's something weird about this person and I don't know what makes them like this. And eventually they might ask if it happens often enough. You never know what will create this thirst. And this is why I say we have people watching us. When, we, when they know we're a Christian, they're watching us. They're watching us to see how are we different from them, basically. They don't really care that you're a Christian. What they're wanting to see is, is your Christianity something that's different from the way they live? And this is something that is really bad. And there's so many Christians that are carnal Christians, if they're, if they're even Christians. And there's such a bad witness that people look at them and, and what they say about Christianity is, well, these people are no different or even worse they're worse than me. And that's even a, even a worse place to be. It's bad enough if there's no difference, but if they're worse than they are, it really brings a bad taste for Christianity. Jesus goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick that it gives light to all that are in the house. This is the same sign, the same thing as the salt, because you are a candle, you are a light. And your, your light shines in the darkness. And this is what we said a couple weeks ago. As the world gets darker and darker and more and more sinful, our righteousness shines out 
brighter and brighter because the darker the darker things are the more the light shines and it's a very big it's a truism but darkness never overcomes light light always overcomes darkness always there, you'll never see a point except on TV and movies where the where the darkness envelops the light and crushes it it doesn't happen in real life and as Christians our light shines out and the darkness is pushed back and people can see just a little bit maybe not a whole lot but they see and this is why he chose a candle because one candle does not give out a whole lot of light but it gives out light and if you're a long ways from the candle you will see that light you may not see anything from that light but you'll see the light and this is something in our valley here. If you look out over the valley, you can see lights as far off as, you know, really far off. If somebody was to go up on Windy Point and be able to put a light up there and keep it lit, we would see it. Even though it's a long ways from here, we'd be able to see the light. And this is what God says. Jesus says, you are the light. And he says, don't hide your light. And there's a lot of Christians who try to hide their light they don't want they won't don't want to let anybody know they're a Christian and I've met lots of them you wouldn't know that they're a Christian until you until you start talking to them a little bit and they have some Bible knowledge they have some experience if you can draw if you can draw it out of them some of it I think is that people get familiar with God's God's love and his light. When I first got saved, I told everybody and anybody about who about Jesus. And most Christians do. And usually we're very abrasive and, and brash about it, and we get a lot of people angry at us because of how harsh we are. Then we start pulling back, and what unfortunately what usually happens is we pull back way too far. And okay, I made too many people upset, now I'm just not gonna open my mouth. And we want to find that halfway point where we're telling people without being brash. They're going to be more wondering why. And that's your opportunity to point them to heaven, which is what I've, which is what I've been saying I would do with people. No, it says that your good works, they will see your good works and glorify the Father. Uh, but again, remember what I said at the very beginning when I was working in the restaurants and I would stay peaceful and calm during the middle of these, these storms, people would ask how, why? How did you do this? Why did you do? Why did you turn the money back, back in? Well, because I direct them back to the Father. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Well, God's given me the strength to do this. This is what He desires out of my life. Will they do? Will they glorify the Father in and of their own volition? Probably not, especially if they don't know God. Now, if they have some kind of religious background and they know why you're being, doing it, then they may glorify God without your your input but most people are going to go why did you give you know why did you give the money back I go because God says that we're supposed to be honest and then that draws them back to God God is the reason and it brings God God the glory believers will definitely glorify God without your input the rest of them will need your input to understand why it is because they have to understand why right they have to understand why why do good works especially in our day and age where they say there's no absolute truth and there's no reason to be good. When you do the right thing in our day and age, people look at you like you're crazy. You know, I gave back the money. You, know, you gave me too much change. Oh, 
Yeah. It, even, it even freaks out the cashiers when you give them back the money, much less the other people around. Because they just, they're so used to people just, oh, you made a mistake in, in my favor, good, I'm keeping it. And that is the world's way to do it. So when you act opposite of the world, people notice it. Now they may not know why initially, and that's why I say we then come back and if they ask us, we point them back to God. God said to be honest. God said to be truthful. God said to speak kindly. God said to be kind. God said to love. Whatever, whatever it is that. <laughs> I love the, the, the lifestyle that brings people's questions to you. And this is why lifestyle evangelism for a while in the 70s and 80s was very popular. Just live God and people will come to God. Well, eventually you had to open your mouth <laughs> and tell them, why am I different from you? <laughs> why am I different from what you're doing? Lifestyle evangelism is important as long as you're willing to start speaking the words and saying, hey, I'm this way because of God, or I'm very bold to let people know that I'm a Christian, which means that they're watching me to see, do I live a lifestyle that's different from them? Do I have a light in my life that says, I you know, examine my life because I'm living it for God? I'm creating thirst in your life because I'm going to be giving godliness in front of you. This is what Jesus is saying here. Lift up that light. And when people see it, it will bring God glory. A lot of it is just practice and experience. You, most people who have learned to preach the gospel and witness have had thousands of mistakes over the time, and they've just had to learn the hard way. <laughs> and believe me, that there have been many times when I didn't know what to say and said something stupid. And then I'm good, later on, I'm going, why did I say it that way? I should have said this, or I should have done this. But you know... Even a clumsy witness is going to bring somebody looking to God. Okay? So don't get too upset if you have a clumsy time because over time you'll get better at it. It'll become more polished. Just like anything that we do, the more we do it, the easier it gets. When somebody first starts teaching in a Sunday school class, they don't feel like they know what they're doing and they might not know what they're doing. They make mistakes. They, they stumble. They fall. But they hopefully learn from those mistakes and, and grow and, and get better at teaching. Same thing for pastors. They, we, you, know, you, don't, you don't get up and say a great message on your very first uh, message. I remember my very first message. I was supposed to speak for 25 minutes. I had four or five pages of notes in it. I think I got done in eight. <laughs> okay. I got done in eight minutes. Now, I was younger than when I did this, but it was, I, got, I thought I had a message. It was going to be 25, 30, 40 minutes. I figured I was going to have to cut it back, and I was done in eight minutes. <laughs> okay. And I'd studied and studied, and, but over the years, I've learned to be able to do more and speak more and learned how to witness to people and share the gospel and what to say and how to answer. Am I perfect at either one? Absolutely not. There's lots of room yet for growth in both of them. But the more we do it, the better we get. Same thing is why do, why do sports teams practice every single day? Two, you know, sometimes two a days. You know, if you play football, it was two a days in the summer. And then you practiced every single day up to the game. Why did you do it? Well, you should have learned it. You, you, you knew the move. You should be good at it, right? No, you had to practice it until it became instinctive. How do we get better at giving the gospel out? We just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And eventually, it becomes smoother and easier to give. And how do we do that in, in any, any aspect of our Christian walk? We just keep doing it until it starts to stand out. 
and be something that draws people's attention because I've been practicing it so long that it's become second nature. How, do, how does a Christian respond when somebody hits their car? Now, what, how's the world respond when they, you know, somebody hit their car? Get out and start cussing you out and, and screaming and hollering. How should we do it as a Christian? Hey, are you okay? I mean, is everything okay? The cars seem to be okay, you know, they're, or they're total, whatever. It doesn't matter. Most people are very much afraid about, of it. There's a number of things. Number one, it's going up to a stranger and talking to them. For some people, that's a very big hurdle in and of itself. Then you're going to tell them about God, which they probably don't want to hear or, or will tell you they don't want to hear about it. The interesting thing when you do evangelism is to watch the eyes of the people that are being even gruff and, and angry about it and realizing they're really hoping that what you're saying is true. And their gruffness is more to try to see are you going to respond and back off than, than even anything else. They're, they're, tr they're actually testing you in the middle. Is You're telling me something that or do you really believe it? They may not consciously be understanding that that's what they're doing, but you, I've done it often enough that I've watched their eyes and there's a softness in their eyes. There's almost that longing. I really hope that what you're telling me is true. But they've seen so many Christians back down when pushed that they don't necessarily buy it. The advantage of that even is, and this is taught in evangelism classes, you know, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? Listen to them. Listen to them tell you all about reincarnation or good works or there is no heaven or whatever their story is. Oh, that's quite interesting. What, you know, what, what authorities are you basing that on? And, you know, I'm basing it on the book of whatever or I don't have any, you know, it's just what I think. Well, can I tell you what the Bible says? Now, if you've honestly listened to them and let them speak, do you think they're going to tell you no, you can't tell them what the Bible says? You've given them respect and listened to them. And you just tell them what the Bible says. For all have sinned and come... They may or may not. If they don't, it's not a no real big deal anyway. My experience is that most people, if you've let them tell you what they think, will listen to what, what you think. Especially if you've been honest and not interrupted them at every moment or tried to argue what they've said. And you just go, now can I just share with you what God says in his Bible? And most of the time they're going to say yes. And then you share, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God commended, uh, uh, Christ commended his life to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you believe in the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And you go, is this something you would want to know, to know that you're going to heaven? Do you know that you're a sinner? You know, and just go through these points with them. Would you like to know that you're going to go to heaven by accepting the free gift of God? And invite them to pray. Now, is everybody going to respond? No. Will a lot of people respond? Sometimes. Sometimes. And that's a big thing that people are worried about. But you know, they're not rejecting us when we give the message of God out. And this is really a salesman's technique. You know, when you give a sales pitch, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the, the sale. The, the whatever you're pitching and that's not I don't want to say that we're selling God but it's the same mentality when I tell people about God it's not up to me to make them accept or not accept and as a matter of fact if you listen to a lot of people's testimonies when do they really start thinking about what you said at night when they're in bed having had a miserable day and they're going I wonder if that person is right in what they said am I really a sinner and it's just them. 
at that point. No pride issue, no nothing. It's just them looking and saying, well, yeah, I really am a sinner. Is that first right that it says I'm going to go to hell if I don't, don't, don't accept this gift? A lot of times it's in the middle of the night after you've talked to them <laughs> that God starts speaking into their mind and convicting them. And the Holy Spirit comes in. And, and even if they say the prayer with you, doesn't necessarily mean that they're saved. It's just at that moment they're afraid of hell. Yeah. And they say, well, I want to say this prayer because if that'll get me in heaven, that'll... <laughs> and this is why I'm very careful. I do not push the prayer on people. I will invite them, do you want to ask Jesus into your life? Do you want Jesus to be in your life? Do you want him to be your Savior? Do you want him to be your Lord? But I'm not going to push it because I don't want somebody in their 50s thinking they're saved because they said a prayer when they were 22 that they didn't mean. Well, in that introduction, I, think, I always thought it was really smart for them to say, uh, if you mean it. Yes. And then if you don't mean it, nothing's going to happen. Yep. You know, just lay it straight out. That's why there's one show on the, on the Christian radio channel like this, and they say, that, they say the sinner's prayer at the end, and, and, they always, and they say something that really drives me. If you said this prayer, you're a savior, you're, you're a Christian, write us, and, uh, and I'm going, uh-uh, that, you know, yes, that's the first step, but it's, <laughs> if they don't believe it and all they said was words, they're not saved. And then 90% of them, six months later, nowhere. And I shared with, with most people, there was a time I was out street evangelizing with somebody who was supposed to be really good at it. And we were talking to these three teenage boys, and I was engaging the two that weren't interested at all. And she had this one poor kid backed up against the wall and just hammering on him on the gospel and saying, you've got to say this prayer, you've got to say this prayer. And he eventually said a prayer. And when they left, I looked at her and go, you know that kid's not saved. Well, God's going to hold him accountable. He said the prayer. I'm going, no, he said words to get you out of his, out of his face. And I also put on. And the worst thing is, he may think that he's saved and and go to hell because he said this prayer that he didn't mean. Well, two things are going to happen. That one, he's going to be totally, totally offended. Yeah. Or he just he just said what he said. Yeah. Sometimes we do that to people. We just say something. I say anything. Now, is it possible the kid got saved or even got saved at that time? Yeah, anything's possible, but. I don't, you know, just the way it happened, I don't believe that the kid was saved. And, uh, but we need to be careful because we need to walk that fine line. Because many, especially new Christians, they'll go home and they'll, you know, they'll go see mom and dad and go, mom, dad, you're headed to hell, you've got to get saved. And you, you know, great way to introduce God to, to them, you know. It's, and, they, and they just pull back and go, okay, you're going through a phase, you, know, you might grow out, you know, you're probably going to grow out of it. But we oftentimes do come across way too hard in our enthusiasm as a young Christian, but then we start going way too far the other direction and not share at all with them. And that's when I think we might be crossing it where Jesus said, you've left your first love in Revelation. And we need to remember, do I truly love him? And we think about this, when we are first in love, who knows about, who knows about it? Everybody we meet, <laughs> especially all of our friends. <laughs> Okay, yeah, especially our friends, you know, hey, you got to meet, you know, you, you, I just, just in so much in love with this person, I, I, you know, deeply in love, we talk about it all the time. We know what means something to people by what they talk about. If you come across anybody who's a NASCAR fanatic, they're always talking about this race, that race, and this driver, and that car, and, and what type of car it is. If they're a football fanatic, they're telling you all about their team, and who's injured, and who they're playing, and 
what's their chances of making it to the playoffs or if it's baseball they're giving you the the batting stats and the pitching stats and the fielding stats uh, you know we know what's important to somebody when we start listening to them and saying what does this person talk about now I'm not saying as Christians we need to talk about God 24 7 365 days a year but if we're spending time with people, do they know what is important to us? I had a man that I worked for when I first moved here, and I met him at the gas station. He goes, well, what are you doing these days? He goes, I go, I'm a pastor. And he goes, I just knew you would be because you got animated when you talked about anything to do with God or the Bible. I had an impact on his life. He knew that something was real in my life because of what I talked about. And I tell people, Doing what I'm doing is not new to me. I've done it all my life. I just now get to get paid a little bit for doing it. And it's nice. I get a little bit of pay to do what I've always, do, always done and what God told me I was going to do. So it is fun to talk about God and people see that this is what I care about. I can do a lot of, lot of things. I'm a you know, decent computer programmer. I'm a good teacher, even outside of the Bible. But when it comes to God, I get excited and people notice the difference in who I am when I'm talking about God and the Bible. And, and, I, and I agree with you. I'm not a real rah, 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 sis, boom, ba type person jumping up and down and getting really excited. But when I talk about God, there's a difference in how I normally am because he is the one that I get excited about. And, and I'm not a real outgoing bubbly person but people know that God is real to me and I think it's true for you as well if, if you talk about God they're going to know that there's a little difference there it's it, this is something that's not just knowledge it's just it's not there is a relationship and a love in for him that's in there that comes out and that's what it's all about who do I love what do I love where where is my treasure where am I setting my treasure? Where is my affections truly at? Is it in this world where, I'm, where I can lose everything? If I'm, if I'm getting really excited because I've got a good job and I'm making lots of money, okay, and all of a sudden I lose that job, what happens? I get devastated because my heart was on my job or, God, thank you for the time I had that job. Because <laughs> I've been there, done that. I used to make a lot of money as a computer programmer in the city. It didn't mean a whole lot. And it's funny, as I talk to some of the people out there at the prison, they're going, well, you got the chance to make this much money. I'm going, you don't understand. The money is not the driving force for me. It's good. God used it. But God would take care of me if I didn't have any job, he'd take care of me. And if I had a big job making millions of dollars, he's going to take care of me because it's God that I put my hope in. But again, I go back to, how do, they, how do they glorify God? Because I bring everything back to God. If, if we as individuals bring everything back to God, people will either reject him or glorify him because they're going to say, oh, okay, this person's different and they're directly relating it to God. Now their first impulse is going to be, this person's absolutely crazy and insane. But when they find out that it's true and you keep giving God the glory, they're going to go, okay, Maybe what this person's saying is true. And hopefully they become a Christian <laughs> out of the deal. On this peace thing that we were talking about is, uh, is priceless. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that you trade for it. But all of this is so that God will be glorified. I live his life through me 
coming out so that, he'd be, so that he's glorified. And this is crucial for us as Christians. Whenever something is done in our life that God gets the glory, when, a, when you teach or you give a witness or you lead somebody to the Lord, God gets the glory. If I start thinking that it's me somehow, then God, number one, will show me that it's not me, it's him, by making my life miserable in that area that I thought I was so strong in. But it also takes away from the testimony to the people that, oh, look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm just so good, I'm so, I, I get through all of this stuff. No, I only get through it because God has taught me to be able to let him work through me. When I, when I talked about that time when I was at peace, it wasn't because I was at peace, it was because God has taught me to be at peace no matter what goes on. And he works through me. And this is very important that as we give testimony, we're not trying to say, look at me, but look at God. Look at what God does. He is the light. He has lit my life on fire, and I'm going to be on that lampstand drawing everybody to him because what are they seeing when they look at that light? Who is the light? Jesus is the light. We are lit on fire with Jesus, but it's him who's the light. He's the one that draws people to him. He's the one that's the salt. He's the one that's the healer. He's the one that draws people. He just happens to use us. And that's where it's really wonderful is that he uses us and he gets the glory. It's hard for people to get over this me, me, me thing. Especially in our generation. We're in a me generation. How many times are you driving down the highway and somebody has to barge in front of you to get that extra five feet? That means they gain two seconds on the, uh, of travel time trying to cause accidents to do it. With nobody, with nobody there. Right. But, and we see it on, on these Black Friday sales, you know, where people go in and will just about kill each other to get, it, to get a deal because I'm the one that's important in this life. So, again, this is where we have that very strong light where God's being glorified or me glorify me. And it's easy to get into this glorify me. Even as Christians, it's easy to get into this glorify me. Look what I'm doing. Look at all the things I have done. And we see this sometimes in churches where somebody says, well, I'm the one that keeps the place clean, or I'm the one that does this, or I'm the one. Get over it. <laughs> are you serving God, or are you trying to lift yourself up? And it's not easy sometimes. <laughs> it's sometimes very easy to get wrapped up in, look at me. Very easy. Even if you're doing the side stuff that, you're, that not most people notice, you kind of do the little thing, you know, that, that was my job, I, I did that. <laughs> You know, uh, I was really serving God yesterday and I cleaned up that, <laughs> that room. And, and we say it with this false, uh, false, false humility. And it's very important that we keep humble and say, God, you're the one that's being lifted up. Because he says, if we get the glory on this earth, we've got our reward. There's no reward in heaven. If we just let it go, we have a reward in heaven. And it is so true. And this is one of my favorites. I've said it over and over. One of my favorite songs is Thank You. And it's it dreamed I went to heaven, you were there with me, and it's basically singing about his pastor, the songs about his pastor, and the little things that his pastor has done in, to touch people's lives. And you know, it makes you think about how many little things have we done in our life that have touched people, and we don't know what they are until we get to heaven. God's got vast riches for us, because most of the time we don't even know 
how we've touched people's lives. The more we meditate on him, the more we meditate on his word, the more we're going to be away from the me. And this is why I encourage everybody, start your day with Bible reading and prayer. Ask God what it is you want, that he wants you to do and start looking for what he wants you to do and start thinking about what you read that morning in the Bible and, and be, pray, be in an attitude of prayer. That is actually a good mindset. I always look at it this way. In your morning prayers, if you say, Lord, I'm available today, use me, I'm here, I want to make that clear. Then for the rest of the day, the ball is in God's court. You got to keep looking for the ball, but it's in his court. You, you got to get ready for that pass back to you and say, okay, now it's your turn to, turn to uh, open your mouth or do this or whatever it might be. But again, Blackaby said it the same thing. Look around what God's doing and join him. It's the same mentality. God, what is it you want me to do? We open our eyes and we listen. But it is in God's, but, but how many times I've had so many divine appointments in my lifetime where God just opens up the door for me to talk to someone. Sometimes it's just a Christian and encouraging them. Sometimes it's a lost person and being able to give a little bit of a witness. Sometimes it's just a kind deed to somebody that, that is going to touch their life. Sometimes it's just walking faithfully. Last thing I just want to bring up, I brought this up many times and I love this story because not to glorify me at all, but I had a time when I had six months of gout attacks and I was on crutches. I just could not get rid of the attack. And I kept serving God, doing the stuff in the church, walking my beat as a Sunday school director, doing all the stuff I did. And I'm going, God, I don't understand why you've kept me in pain for six months, but you know, there's got to be a reason to it. Well, about a year later, this person came up to me and told me how much I encouraged them because I served God when it was obvious that I was in pain. Now, I don't say this to make me look good. I say this because it was just a way that one of those things where you look and say, God, there's no way this can be for good. No way, God, that all this pain that I've been going through and I can't sleep at night and it, it sort of walk around is for good. And yet it encouraged at least one person, probably more, but it was one person that God used to let me know what had been done. And the reason I say this story is we never know what we're doing in our life that is going to encourage somebody for God. We may just look at it, God, I'm just being faithful. I'm just doing, I'm just doing what I want to do. And I'm just having fun doing what I'm doing. And God's saying, keep doing it because it's blessing other people. But before I came here from College Park, I used to, people are always going, you're always so busy, you're always so busy. I never felt busy. Okay, I was just doing things I enjoyed doing. I was administrating stuff and I was doing these helpful things like opening up doors, closing doors, you know, turning on lights, doing, you know, doing lots of little things. I never realized how much I was doing until I got ready to transition here to be pastor and all of a sudden I'm going, nobody wanted all, no one person wanted all my jobs. I had to dole them out to like six different people to make sure they got done. What? But I was just having fun. I didn't, I didn't look at it. I didn't even look at it as work. I was just going in church and having fun. And I want to just say, a lot of times when we're going about and we're doing just what we think is fun, as long as it's godly and righteous, we're just out there having fun for God, somebody's going to look at it and say, wow, this person's doing something. This, and it's going to touch them in ways that... We're not even out there trying to touch them. We're just, we're just out having fun, enjoying God, and people are being blessed, and we're having fun. And I really truthfully believe that when you're doing what God has asked you to do, you're going to enjoy it. 
Now, does that mean you're going to always have fun doing it and always be glad you're doing it? No. I love being a pastor, but there's times when being a pastor is a very hard <laughs> job. And sometimes when I look at it, I go, well, God, this is a really hard job you put me into. Most of the time I look at it and say, God, I'm just having fun. I get to actually tell people what you showed me in the Bible. I get to study the Bible and tell people, and they seem to actually want to listen, which is even more amazing sometimes, that people want you to hear what you say. They want to watch you, and all you're doing is having fun. You're playing with God, having a fun time with God, and people are getting blessed by what you do. That's where this verse really, these verses really come out. I'm just living with, between me and God, having a good time living with him, and people are looking at me and saying, wow, this person's really different. They don't act the way the world does. They don't get mad at this situation. They don't get, they don't get upset. They, can't, they have peace. All I'm doing is having fun with God. And if you can have fun with God, imagine how, how long you can keep doing it. Because when you're having fun, you want to do something. Looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was in fourth grade, I, we had this, we lived in this court, and it was the right, right size for a football field, and we had enough kids in the field that we played football. During summer, we played football from the moment the sun rose <laughs> to the moment our parents made us come inside because it was too dark to see the football. Now, did we go out there because somebody told us we had to go out and play football all day long? <laughs> no, we were just having fun. We didn't even realize we were tired until it was time to take our bath or shower and and go to bed, and it's like, man, I'm exhausted. I don't like, <laughs> you know. And the next day, get back up and do it all over again. When you're enjoying what you're doing, nobody has to make you do it. And time goes by really fast. And this is why I've shared, I've, I've met a handful of true evangelists. And these guys, nobody is twisting their arm to share the gospel. They just automatically share the gospel because they are just having fun sharing the gospel, and it just flows out of them. People aren't getting upset at them. It, it just flows. I don't know that I'll ever be that good at presenting the gospel. Having um, said that, though, could the person who's an evangelist sit here at the head of the table and teach the word of God and, and not feel that it's a trial? Probably not. Well, it's a different gift. It's a different calling. Now, doesn't mean that they can't teach or I can't go out and evangelize, and, and they, they probably sh shouldn't do both. But you're going to be specially gifted at certain things. And there are certain people that are just gifted at helping out. If you need something done, you know who to go to because that's their gift. And they have fun doing it. Now, I don't have fun doing that kind of stuff. Can I do it? Will I do it? Yes. But that is not something that I find fun. To go repair something or try to fix something is not my idea of, of having fun. But I know people who just enjoy doing it. A few years back, we had my steps on my house were falling apart, and one of my friends got together a bunch of people who like doing carpentry, and they built me a very nice deck and steps. That now needs to have some stain, uh, water seal put on it, but they built me some very nice steps. Could I have done what they did? Absolutely not. I was going to go to the store and buy, buy a riser and, and jam it up against the wall with some steps across it. And they built a nice deck, and they cemented it in, and all the stuff that I, I wouldn't have known how to do. Why? Just because they wanted to bless me for whatever reason. And I was very thankful for it, and still am. When I step onto a nice, sturdy deck with these nice, big, heavy-duty Fords, it's like, this is nice. And it was a great blessing. 
I could never have gone out and done that. What I could have done is hauled the lumber from the, from the pickup truck to where they were sawing, sawing it and nailing it together, and that's about as much as I could have done. Maybe cleaned up the mess. <laughs> but they enjoyed what they were doing. And I say this because we don't know who, how we're going to bless people just by doing what we enjoy doing for God, whatever that might be, whatever it might be. And I've shared with people what would make, you know, I shared this with inmates a lot of times, when they, when they get out and you're looking for something to do in the church, find the job that nobody else does that you don't mind doing. For me, if I had somebody to come to the church and said, I'd love to clean the church, you know, and just want to come in and clean the church each week. What a blessing that would be so that I didn't have to spend a couple hours each, each week doing it myself. And we, having said that, we never know what we will do that will bless somebody and say, this is special. One of the things I love when we had the men's breakfast is so many of the men will jump up and they'll help clean the whole church on, on the men's breakfast day. And it's a great blessing to me because it's, all, it's one less thing I have to do <laughs> that week. Now, I've had a busy morning up to that point anyway, but it's one less thing that I have to do afterwards. And they sweep, they mop, they vacuum, and it's wonderful to see all the stuff that gets done. But how can we bless people? Never, ever belittle the little things that you're doing. Because you don't know how big a blessing that is to somebody. Because there's a lot of people, well, I'm the pastor, I'm not the pastor, I can't get up and speak in front of it, I can't do anything in the church, but they're cleaning the church and cleaning the parking lot and, and doing this and doing that, and it's like they're doing all those little things. In Acts, when the, when the Greek widows were being overlooked, whether in reality or not, and they brought the deacons in. It doesn't tell us it, but I can, under, I can guarantee you that the apostles looked at those deacons and saying, oh, we're so thankful for these guys because now we don't have to do this menial stuff all day long, you know, taking care of these little petty problems, they get to take care of them. And they were able to say, we're ministering. They probably didn't think they were, they were doing all that great a job, you know, big, big a deal. But I can guarantee you the apostles thought they were doing a good deal because I know how I would look at it as a pastor. Oh, thank you. I don't have to deal with, with this little area. You're dealing with it? Good. I'm going to I'm going to spend more time studying. I'm going to spend more time preaching. I'm going to spend more time teaching because I don't have to do all this other stuff. Never discount the little things that God's got you doing. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your care for us. Lord, help us to be bright lights that shine. Help us to stand forth and, and lift you up in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.